You know, today, I'm going to need you to think a little bit. It's going to be a, you know, I had a professor at OBU that said, hey, we're going to require a little mental sweat today. Uh, that's kind of where we might be today. And, and as I've prayed about today in just Nehemiah chapter 9, that's where we are. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn there. I'm praying that God helps us understand the magnificence of repentance. You know, if you've come to know Christ as your Savior, you've, ex you've experienced this. And repentance is a word that we often hear in church, but, but, I, but I think we struggle to really understand it. And, and we need to recognize that repentance describes a one-time event but it's also a recurring practice. And this is important to understand. Um, in Nehemiah chapter 9 specifically, we see this really clear picture of repentance. And, and I think it's important to lean into this because, you know, when, when I look at my life, God confronted me with my sin. God loved me enough to confront me to reveal to me that I'm a sinner and I needed, needed a Savior. Maybe some of you watching today or, or in this room today, you've never come to that moment of repentance in your life. That's your greatest need. That's been, that was the greatest thing that ever happened to me. Nehemiah 9 really gives us a picture of repentance. So let's stand together and let's jump right in in Nehemiah 9. We're just going to read 1 through 4. It's a long chapter. We're going to process several of this, several verses in this chapter. But let's, let's lean into 1 through 4 as we get started today. And I want you to notice the repentance of God's people. Look at verse 1. Now on the 24th day of this month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth, and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord, their God, for a quarter of the day. For another quarter of it, they made confession and worshiped the Lord, their God. On the stairs of the Levites stood Jeshua, Bani, Kadmiel, Shabaniah, Buni, Sherebiah, Bani, and Chenani. And they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. And this is the word of the Lord. Thank, thank you. you. may be seated. Now, I love that practice of just saying praise be to God for the reading of his word. And, you know, in Nehemiah 9, here's what you see going on. You see uh, Ezra the prophet. You see Nehemiah the governor. And, and they're helping God's people do something. They're helping them rehearse God's righteousness against sin. That's what, that's what we just read. They're rehearsing this, uh, this act of confession. And they're trusting God to show mercy because God has shown mercy to us. And then they renew their commitment. 
They, they together, they renew this commitment to repent of their sin and to walk in obedience. That's Nehemiah 9. That's what's going on in this, in this chapter. Now let's think about what it means to repent, okay? We need to think about this. We need to wrestle with this because what is repentance? Repentance is this godly sorrow for sin. That's what repentance is. It's like, man, I'm a sinner and I, I, I shouldn't be. And it, but it's not just a sorrow for sin. It's a turning away from those things that trip us up. That's what repentance is. And, and you know, uh, I've known people that have been in church their whole lives. And they've heard the word repentance, but, they, but they've really not come to grips with repenting maybe even once, maybe even first repentance. And then the continual repentance is something we tend to avoid because we can, the confrontation of sin is difficult for us. We want to push that away. But we're learning to be a people that lean into conviction, that, that allow God to, like we open our heart and our mind to the Lord. And let's think about it. Repentance is sorrow for sin. It's good to be sorrowful about sin, right? I mean, think about sin. We, we, we have a tendency to think that sin is no big deal, don't we? We think, ah, you know, uh, it's not that big a deal. We make the mistake of looking at sin horizontally. And here's what I mean by that. We tend to look at somebody else and go, well, you know, dude, I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, yeah, I'm, this may be wrong, but did you see that guy? Oh, my goodness, that guy's really bad. Or we tend to go, you know, man, that girl, oh, my goodness. Her, oh, look at her. But see, when you come to the, the Lord... We tend to not look at sin horizontally, but vertically. We tend to go, God, I want to look at you, and oh, when I look at you, ooh, what does God do when we look at him? We notice the sin in our own lives. This is why Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, hey, you know, when you follow Christ, you don't just look at your brother's sin and the speck in his eye. You got a log in your own, Right? You got a log in your own. We, we tend to look at our own sin. And think about, think of what a big deal this, to God sin is. It was because of your lying and my lying, my rebellion, that God entered human history. And that Jesus lived this perfect life and he shed his blood on the cross for your sin. So we got to make the we can't make the mistake that sin is no big deal. Sin is devastating. And in Nehemiah 9, you get this clear picture of repentance. Now, repentance is important for us. Repentance is an important practice. Both both you need to come to repentance, but then we continually repent. Acts gives us a picture of this. He in Acts 2:38, remember the, that's Pentecost and 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 at that moment, he says, Paul, Paul writes, or, or Luke writes about this, that, that uh, you need to repent for the forgiveness of your sin. And, and that's what repentance does. When we, we repent and God forgives us our sin, and, and at Mars Hill in Acts 17, Paul warns the Athenians that, that God called people to repent. 
In, in, Acts, in Acts 26, Paul is standing before King Agrippa, and, and he reminds King Agrippa that, look, both the Jews and the Gentiles are called to repent and turn to God. And all through the Bible, uh, you, you see this call to repentance as, a, as both a one-time call and a recurring call. And this morning, I think Nehemiah 9, as I've been wrestling with this, you, you really get to see the anatomy of repentance. And repentance is important for us. There's a famous Baptist pastor, John Brodus, who says, repenting of sin means that one changes his thoughts and his feelings about sin. And he's resolved to turn away from it and live for God. And I would say to whether you are a lost today, you, you've never repented of your sins, or you're a believer today, we, we, we need to change our opinions about sin. Because we have a tendency to think it's not a big deal. Now, the more time I spend with lost friends, the more puzzling it is for them to, for a lost world to, to, to see sin as a problem. I just read a book, and I I don't want to recommend it because it's, it's, a, it's a book from a lost person's perspective, but it gave me some real insight into a, a lost world. And, and, the, and, and you know, it, it reminded me of what a lot of conversations I have with my lost friends that go, you know what, Chris, I'm, I'm okay. I don't need to repent. I'm, I, I'm a pretty good guy. I'm going to live, you know, I love my family. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. And, and, and you know, this is, this is the a prevailing thought in the world. We think we're okay. But I want you to know we're not okay. And, and it doesn't take us long to, to look at the history of humanity to recognize that we're really not okay. Like when you really evaluate the story of humanity, we're pretty brutal. We have a tendency to, to, to dominate and to... Uh, to take over countries and to uh, uh, hurt people. And, and we have a tendency to, uh, to be pretty brutal. Because why? The heart of every person is brutal, right? I mean, if you saw the news that I saw this week, I mean, what, what, what is the, the, they said, we're headed to a new Cold War with China. Why? Because we are naturally, we're not okay, and, and when you really look at humanity and the state of humanity, it doesn't take long to think that we, we're not okay. We also, uh, not just in this life, but Ecclesiastes 3 points to the fact that God has put eternity in our hearts. That all through history, man has looked at death and said, you know what, there's something after this. God gave us that, and he put that in our hearts, and, and we know, the Bible's clear, there is a life to come. And so as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, like in my family this week, this has been a tough week in my family. I had to go back home, and I had to preach a cousin's funeral who died of COVID. And you know, that's tough for, for us. We're sad about that, but, but in the midst of that, let me tell you, there is a confidence in us because Christ has done so much in us that, that this is, as a Christian, we can face even death with hope. And, and Christ changes that perspective and helps us and, and, and because God saved us. And let's understand something very important, that, th that this is the reason why salvation is, 
is the great theme of the Bible. And that all through the Bible, you see the, that, that the gospel in the, that, that is mentioned and, and prophesied in the Old Testament and the gospel that is lived out in the New Testament is the central focus. And this is why we as a church must make sure that sharing the gospel is the central focus for us. Because the greatest need of you and me and, and all of humanity is to come to Christ, to come to repentance. Now, salvation is that process that, that, that God uses to make his creation right with him. So, um, this was all possible. This was all made possible because God entered human history. And he lived a perfect life. He, he then died on the cross and shed his blood. And, and, and then he rose from the dead and conquered sin and death. And, 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 you know, when we come to see that, you know, it changes us. Let's think about salvation for a minute. The broad picture of salvation, let's think about it. That's when you're born again. When, when, and if you've been born again, that's a great, that's an important question for you to ask. Your greatest need is to be born again. You know, when you come to Christ. And, and, and when you think about the... The, the theological term of, of what that means when somebody is born again. There's a theological term called regeneration, and, and this is a, a work of God. Before you even think about it, God begins to work to regenerate your heart, and Christ comes into your life, and what happens when Christ comes into your life? He makes you a new creation. He, he creates you. He recreates you. You are born again. You have that First Peter 2.10 moment that once you were not a people, but now you're the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is a beautiful reality of, gener of regeneration when you're eyes are opened, your heart is, is aware of your sin, and, and you, you're born again. And that leads you to this natural repentance that, that you, you turn from your sin, you turn towards God, and it's, it's this first, it begins with a one-time act, but then in that moment of repentance, that, that one-time act when you repent, you're just, you experience justification where you are made just like you never sinned, and, and God changes you. And you know what's interesting? After this moment of salvation, this moment of justification, you begin a lifelong process of sanctification. When, when God grows you up and God, God helps you understand how to walk with him and how to, how to continually repent, when you continually stay in God's will and walk with him and, 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 and it's interesting as, as you think about this, we, we, we our faith in Christ moves us to hate the sin that we used to love. And, and we grow up in our faith. And this is a lifelong process. And, and, and as we walk with the Lord, and here I love being a part of this church because it's a multi-generational church. And we had a, a sweet senior adult lady that, is, that came up in the first service. She's going to be baptized soon. And, and, and we, we saw a baptism today, and we're seeing old and young come to Christ. And, and we're all at different places in our walk with the Lord, but we're growing up in our faith. And you know what? This will continue until that moment of glorification. 
And that's the day we draw our last breath when, when we see God face to face and, and, and you realize the day that a believer dies, that's when we are glorified and we go to heaven. And this is why in my family this week, though we are sad, we have this incredible hope that Diana's with the Lord. She's finished her race. And let me tell you, this is why every believer can face the reality of death with confidence. Because that's a moment of glorification and we need to understand that. That when we die, when the day you draw your last breath as a believer, I'll tell you what, you're, you're entering heaven. You're glorified. Your race is over. You finished the race. And it's beautiful. Now, now, God's been teaching us some important things through Nehemiah. Let's, think, let's recap some of these things. He's, he's been teaching us that, that God is always at work, and, and he's invited us to join the Lord where he's working. And we've seen as Nehemiah rallies the people of God and said, look, we've got to come together to rebuild the city walls. And they did that, and, and that was a beacon of salvation, a light of salvation that remains in the world as they look at the city of Jerusalem and point to Jesus. And, and Nehemiah said, taught us that we can join the Lord where we're working and, and you can join the Lord and I pray you live your life in the middle of God's will joining the Lord in this generation that we join the Lord together where he's working and this is something we've seen a second truth that we've seen in the book of Nehemiah is that is that God not only invites you to join him but God invites us to join him we've got a we've got a work to do together corporately. We are not just a me, we are a we, and we come together to help each other walk with the Lord. We see that in Nehemiah. Now, there's another truth that we've seen in the book of Nehemiah, and, and it's as they gather in these Feast of Booths, and in this moment in Nehemiah 9, they are studying the law of God. That's important. That's what we're doing today. They are they are doing the law of God. They're pushing one another, like Ezra 7.10 that we've memorized if you've been with us for a while. They do the law of God, but then they teach the law of God. But as they do this, we've learned this and we've looked at this, as they're engaged in the word, as they're doing the word, as they're teaching the word, they don't miss engaging the Lord. That God is at work today. God is moving us today. And we've come to worship the Lord through the study of the Bible, through the doing of God's Word, through the teaching of God's Word. Now, in Nehemiah 9, you see this huge shift like we saw last week. Nehemiah 8 was this time that Ezra and Nehemiah said, hey, stop weeping. Let's celebrate all that God's doing. And they do this, and, 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 and they... they they have this period of time, the Festival of Booths, continue to the 22nd day we just read. And then the eighth day of the Festival of the Booths is this other holy ceremony. And then the, the 23rd day of the month, they've completed all the festivals. They've completed the Feast of Booths. And now you look at Nehemiah chapter 1. They come back to where they were in chapter 8, verse 1, when they were hearing the law of God and feeling conviction. And now they're back to the law of God, and they're embracing conviction, and they are showing us what it looks like to repent. You know what? I don't want us to be a church that doesn't know what repentance looks like. And Nehemiah 9 helps us. And as I prayed through this, we see a key step in repentance here. And 
And here's the first thing you see. And I want you to write this down. You see God's people coming face to face with God. I want to ask you a question. When's the last time that you came face to face with God? That's what they do here. Look at verse 1. Now on the 24th day of the month, the people of Israel were assembled with fasting and in sackcloth and with earth on their heads. And the Israelites separated themselves from all the foreigners and stood, and what do they do? They confessed their sins and the iniquities of their fathers. And they stood up in their place and they read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. And for a quarter of it, they made confession and they, notice this, they worshiped the Lord their God. On the stairs of the Levites, their leaders were there, and they cried with a loud voice to the Lord their God. Notice what they're doing. They're coming face to face with God. That's the first part of repentance. You know, we've got to come face to face with him. And that happens once when we're saved, when God graciously confronts us and confronted me and said, Chris, you needed me, you need me. I'm not going to leave you where you are. But now as I walk with the Lord, he continually confronts me face to face. And, and I'll tell you, you know, what, you know what you see them do here? Notice what they do. They, they acknowledge God's holiness. You know, when you come face to face with God, you realize how devastating your sin is. Why? Because God is holy, folks. Now, that's hard for us to grab a hold of. Look, what they, look at verse 5. They, they point out, God, you are the king. You are the creator. The, the second part of verse 5, it says this, Stand up and bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Blessed be your glorious name, which is above all blessing and praise. Verse 6, you are the Lord. You alone have made the heavens the heaven of heavens with all their host, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the host of heaven worships you. You know God is holy, right? Now, it's hard for us to understand this. That's why I think that the day we draw our last breath, my cousin Diana, the day that she drew her last breath, she stood in the presence of God, and I think she was like, whoa. That's holiness. And it's so important for us to, to recognize the holiness of God the best we can. Because when we do, we realize, oh my goodness, we need a Savior. We need Him. Now, you know what's interesting? Isaiah 6 is one of my favorite places in Scripture where you get a glimpse of the holiness of God. Let me, let me tell you what that says. Isaiah was the prophet, and he, it says in Isaiah 6, verses 1, starting verse 1, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, Isaiah said, I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord. He was high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and above him were seraphs, each with six wings. Seraphs are these angelic creatures, and they were, he says, above him were these seraphs, each with six wings, with, with two wings they were 
they were flying with two wings they covered their, okay, I messed up. With two wings they covered their faces, with two wings they were flying. Did I mess that up again? (laughs) Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet. And with two wings they were flying. And they were calling to one another, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Whoa. That's exactly what Isaiah said next. Woe is me, I cried, for I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. You see, all through history, God's people come face to face with the Lord. And you know what you see in Nehemiah 9? You see... The greatest chapter in the Bible describing the history of God's people. Because the entire chapter is, is, is like a history lesson for the people of God. And, and you know, it's interesting as they, as they recognize and trace their history, how they, how they didn't submit to the leadership of the Lord. And you know, what it, you know what it looks like to repent? You have to understand the holiness of God, but you also need to submit to his lordship. You realize he's Lord, right? That, that Jesus is Lord. First, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. You realize that Jesus is Lord of all, right? And, and, and God's people, you see this history lesson of, of them submitting to the Lordship of Christ after Moses came face to face with God. They talk about it in verse 13. Look at verse 13. You came down on Mount Sinai and spoke with them from heaven and gave them right rules and true laws, good statutes and commandments. And you made known to them your holy Sabbath and commanded them commandments and statutes and law by, by, and, a, and a law by Moses, your servant. You gave them bread from heaven for their hunger and brought water for them out of the rock for their thirst. And you told them to go in to possess the land that you had sworn to give them. You know what's really amazing? God's people are reminding themselves how valuable it is to submit to the lordship of Christ, of the Lord. You know what that led them to? That led them to this posture of humility. You know, we need to learn from that. We need to learn that, that, that in this chapter, you see God's people going, you are Lord. Let me tell you something. We live in a world where a lot of churches are like, hey, I don't want to offend you. Uh, pastors are like, I don't want to offend you. Hey, let me tell you something. When I read my Bible, I'm often offended. 
Because I'm often finding things that I need to, to change. I'm often, I'm quick to discover that he's the Lord and I'm not. I'm quick to discover when I read my Bible that I need to submit to the leadership of the Lord. Uh, I'm quick to, to recognize God's not my buddy. He's my Lord. Now we can be a friend of God, which is amazing to me. But let me tell you something, he's not our buddy. He's our king. And this leads us to this posture of humility. And I want to challenge us, choose a posture of humility. And it's interesting as you see this sharp contrast between chapter 8 and chapter 9, because chapter 8 they're meant to celebrate, but then chapter 9 they go, look, it's time to lean in to your, your failures, your need of a Savior your need of the Lord. And can I tell you, for every one of us today, it's time to lean into your need of the Lord, your need of his lordship in your life. Look at verse 16. You see this. You see them repenting in this humility. But they and our fathers acted presumptuously and stiffened their neck and did not obey your commandments. They refused to obey and were, were not mindful of the wonders that you performed among them. But they stiffened their neck, appointed a leader to return to their slavery in Egypt. What a picture. Isn't that, don't we do that? All, let's not throw a rock at the children of Israel here. Because so often we do the same thing. God works beautifully in our lives and rescues us and blesses us beyond what we deserve. But yet so often we, we stiffen our neck to him. And we go, I'm not going to follow you. I'm not going to be grateful. And, and the people of God come face to face with him. Look at verse 26. Nevertheless, they were disobedient and rebelled against you. Look what they did. They cast your law behind their back and killed your prophets who had warned them in order to turn them back to you. And they committed great blasphemies. Verse 27, Therefore you gave them into the hand of their enemies who made them suffer. Remember, this is God's people coming back from exile. Why, why were they in exile in the first place? They were in exile because they disobeyed the Lord. And let me tell you, disobeying the Lord puts you in exile, and it's going to be worse than you can imagine. That's why you need to come to Jesus. That's why you need to turn to the Lord. And in the time of their suffering, what do they do? They cried out to you. But notice what happened. And you heard, from, you heard them from heaven. And according to your great mercies, you gave them saviors who saved them from the hand of their enemies. But after they had rest, they did evil again before you and abandoned them to their, and you abandoned them to the hand of their enemies. So they had dominion over them. Yet when they turned and cried to you, you heard from heaven, and many times you delivered them according to your mercies. Man, God has done that so much in my life, so much in yours. Verse 32, now therefore our God, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who keeps his covenant and steadfast love 
Let not all the hardship seem little to you that has come upon us, upon our kings, our princes, our priests, our prophets, our fathers, and all your people since the time of the kings of Assyria until this day. Look at verse 33. Yet you have been righteous in all that has come upon us, for you have dealt faithfully, and we have acted wickedly. You know, you know what you see here? You see God's people coming face to face with him. And it moves them to say, Lord, we've, we've acted wickedly. Lord, we, we need to repent. We need to come to you. And as I prayed through Nehemiah 9, I thought, oh my goodness, Lord, we today need to come face to face with you. But that's just the first thing we need to do. The second thing we need to do is not come face, not just come face to face, but heart to heart. You know what you see in God's people here? They're, they're coming face to face with God, but they're also coming heart to heart with God, and, and, and they're, they're hiding nothing from him. You, you know, there's a guy that I spent time with this week who, who has been sick, and he hasn't known why. He's like, I don't know why I'm sick. I, so he had a doctor's appointment this week. And, and when he went to the doctor, um, the doctor was like, well, what's wrong? You know what, the, you know what the guy did? He told him everything. He didn't hide anything. He's like, this is what's wrong. He told him, he just told him everything. Most of us would go, that's pretty smart, right? Because it's the doctor who's got the job to figure out what's wrong with me, right? Well, God's people are modeling something very important to us in Nehemiah chapter 9. They're coming to the Lord and they're saying, Lord, I'm going to confess everything to you. I'm going to tell you everything. They, they even go back to the sins of their fathers. Their whole history. Nehemiah 9 is a history lesson of the mistakes of God's people. And they come clean. Can I tell you something? Do you realize that it's the safest place in the world to go to the Lord and come clean? You know, when you come to the Lord and bear your soul and say, Lord, I need you. When you come heart to heart with the Lord, you know what you discover? You discover his mercy. Peter experienced that. Remember Peter? He bailed on Jesus at the cross. I mean, the garden tomb, he was, pulled out his sword to fight, and then he denied him when a little girl questioned. Can you imagine the shame of Jesus? Or the shame Peter had to have felt when Jesus showed up to him? Resurrected Jesus, and he's standing before him? And and what did Jesus say to him? He didn't say, Peter, what would you do that for? He said, Peter, I love you. That's why Peter wrote in 1 Peter 1, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because in his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 and 5. And, and I want you to know that when you come heart to heart with the Lord, 
oh, that's, he receives you. There's a lady in our church. She told me I could, I'm not going to tell you her name, but she said, Chris, she's an older lady in our church, senior adult lady. She goes, Chris, I want you to know something. I had an abortion when I was young. And, I, and God has graciously restored me from that guilt and shame. And she said, if you ever have a chance to get up in front of the church and say that, would you? Because there might be somebody that needs to talk to me. So if that's you today, if that's for you today, shoot me an email, I'll connect you. Look, when you come to the Lord heart to heart saying, God, here I am. He receives you. Do you know what repentance looks like? I want you to write these four things down. I'm going to have them on the screen right here. Repentance looks like coming and confessing your sin. When you confess your sin, 1 John 1, 9 says, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. I first want to ask, if you've have you come to that moment where God has shown you that you're a sinner? If that's today, come to Jesus. Some of you have come to that point, but right now you're stiff-necked. It's time to come back face-to-face -face with the Lord, heart-to-heart -heart with the Lord. And you, want, you know what God's people do here in this repentance? You, they, they interrupt this stumble cycle. You know what I'm praying today is that, is that there is an interruption of the stumble cycle. Nehemiah 9 is an incredible historical record of the stumble cycle of the people of God. You know what the stumble cycle is, right? You see it in the book of Judges. You see it in Nehemiah. Shoot, you see it here in our lives. That stumble cycle of, I'm going to obey the Lord. And then God blesses us because he blesses obedience to him. And then, and then sometimes we, we have a tendency that when the blessing of God comes, we get complacent. We kind of take it easy. And then you know what that leads? It leads to rebellion. And that rebellion leads to a warning of God saying, hey, don't do this, which ends up in stumbling of God's people. You know what continual repentance, this sanctification process, as we as believers continually come to God and say, Lord, I'm going to confess my sin to you, it interrupts that stumble cycle. And I'll tell you, that's something that needs to be interrupted daily in our lives. And then, you know what happens God, to God's people here? They're, they're showing us the blessing of embracing the boundaries. Because repentance, you begin with confessing your sin, you, you interrupt that stumble cycle, and then you embrace the boundaries of God. Do you realize the boundaries of God are good for you? We live in a world that goes, ah, oh, man, why would you follow Jesus? Because, you know, he's got all these rules. Let me tell you something. The boundaries of God are a blessing to you. You ought to, you ought to memorize Psalm 16, 5 and 6. 
It says, oh Lord, you have, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You've made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. And, and you know what? God has put boundary lines in our lives in place for your good, not for your detriment, not for your, your, your struggle. And you know what that leads you to? Is it leads you to a life that stays close to the Lord. And I want to challenge us to be a people that are close to the Lord. You know the sad reality of Nehemiah 9? Is they're repentant, but what we're going to see in the coming weeks is that they rebel again to the Lord. But let's lean into the conviction today. Let's lean into the warning today. Let's lean into the example today of the blessing of remaining close to the Lord. It's like John 15, that whole portion of John where he talks about remaining in me. That, 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 that I want to say to maybe someone in this room today, you're not re- you've not been remaining in the Lord, and God by his grace is confronting you where you are and saying, look, you're not okay. And continuing to go away from the Lord is not going to make things better. It's not. Look, repentance is both a one-time event. Have you been born again? Have you come to Christ? Repentance is a one-time event that, that comes, there comes a moment where God loves you enough and opens your eyes and confronts you with your sin. And you may have walked in the room today because you've never had that moment of repentance. Repentance is a one-time event, but it's an also a recurring occurrence. That we are to walk with the Lord and come to the Lord, come face to face with the Lord, heart to heart with the Lord. And it's time to do that right now. Josh is going to come and we're going to have an invitation. And maybe this invitation, you need to just sit in your seat and come face to face with the Lord and heart to heart with the Lord. Maybe that's what you need today. Maybe you need to, if you're watching at home, maybe you need to just turn everything off and go face to face with the Lord heart-to-heart with the Lord. Look, it's time to respond to the Lord today. It's time to turn to Him, to recognize our history, and to realize that God loves us in spite of our history. That beautiful, unbelievable Romans 5.8 promise that God demonstrates his love for you in this, that even though you were a sinner, Christ died for you. Even though God knew that Chris Wall would look at the Lord and go, I'm going to be stiff-necked to you today. I'm not going to obey you. I know what's right, and I'm just, I just don't want to do it. 
God still died for me. And it's that grace, it's that moment that causes me to go, oh, Lord, I don't want to continue. I want to remain in you. Come back to him. Come to him. Listen to him. Lord, teach us to repent. As your, as your people serving you during these days, teach us to repent. Move us, Lord, to walk with you, to honor you. Lord, if there's somebody here today that, that you've spoken to them and, and you've opened their eyes and it's time to come to you for the first time, I pray that they would come. Lord, help us come face to face to you and heart to heart to you today. In Jesus' name, move us. Amen.